funny. Last night, I was at a place called the Neptune Theater in Seattle. It's in the U District. It's about four to five blocks away from the Pursuit Seattle building. I was at that theater for a fundraiser for a local nonprofit, and about halfway through the event, I had to step outside to take a phone call. And while I was out on the phone, I walk when I preach, I walk when I'm on the phone, I just generally I'm moving when I'm talking because for whatever reason it helps me think. And so I'm walking back and forth, kind of pacing on the sidewalk in front of this theater, and I happen to notice the business right next door to the theater. And it caught my attention for this reason. Seattle's resource for paganism and the occult, edge of the circle books and magical supplies. And all of a sudden, my mouth began to water. I licked my lips. I thought, oh boy, look what God has placed right in my lap. So, of course, I had to go inside because I got to check out the competition in the city. Now, somebody saw on my Instagram I was walking in. They was very concerned. Wanted to make sure no spells got cast. I wasn't turned into a frog. Nothing evil leapt on me. But come on, as believers, we confess Joshua 1. Everywhere the sole of my foot treads, God has given me the land. We confess Nehemiah 13, but our God has turned every curse into a blessing. You want to curse us with sickness? God release healing. You want to curse us with poverty? God release resources. You want to curse our marriages? God strengthens them. You want to curse our kids? God protects them. The reality is the enemy is completely powerless and without authority to afflict the life of a believer if we'll just learn to operate in the God-given authority that Christ died to give us. So I walked into that store. I was looking around, taking a tour of all the trinkets, the enchantments, the books of magic, the curses, the charms, the Ouija boards, you name it. They had it. Now I was the only one in the store besides a man standing behind the desk who I later found out was the owner. And I just couldn't help but feel like, let's just see what kind of trouble I could get in in this store. I went up to the man behind the counter. I said, hi, my name's Russ. What's your name? He gave me his name. And I said, you and I have something in common. His eyes got real big. He said, what? I said, we are both in the spiritual business. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? Now, where's your shop? Where's your store? What do you sell? I said, you wouldn't believe this. We're five blocks away. He said, and what do you do? I said, I pastor a church. And every Sunday night, we gather there at 6 p.m. And we have spiritual chants and spiritual songs. And all of our spiritual energies are aligned. And it's incredible what happens in that place. And so like a proud dad, I took out my phone. I started showing pictures of the building. I said, this is what it looks like, and this is where we bought it, and this is what it's full of people, and all of these incredible things. And I said, you know what? I need you to come to my church. I said, I'm going to save you a seat on the front row. 
I said, I'd love for you to be there and see what we do since we're in the same business. Then I reached out my hand and I grabbed his and I said, can I pray for you? You know, sometimes when the spirit of God is on you and you're bold, you do stuff. And then as you're doing it, you think, oh my God, what am I doing? (laughs) He looked at me and to my surprise, he said, sure. So right there in the little magic book store, right next to the Neptune Theater, I grabbed his hand. I look dead in his eyes. You know, when you're praying for people who ain't used to it, they don't know what to do. They don't like bow their head in reverence and lift their hands. They don't do none of that. He just stared at me like this. So I grabbed his hand and I stared right back. And I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would reveal your truth. I pray that your kindness and goodness would lead this man where he needs to go. God, I pray that you would show him your abundance, that you would show him the heart of a father that desires to draw us close. I just began to pray and prophesy over this guy. And when I got done, I said, in Jesus' name, amen. And he looked at me and he said, after I got done praying, I think I made a friend. And I said, I think I did too. And then I'm getting ready to leave. Before I walk out of the store, he says, hey, before you leave, I got, I got a question to ask you. I've, I've heard about something that I'm confused about, and I was wondering if you could give me clarity. As a pastor, I'm feeling like I hit the jackpot. <laughs> he told me, I, I, he said, I've, I've heard stories I've heard stories of these church services that churches like yours do where young people will gather for a service and then after the service is done, they won't leave and then they just stay and then somebody else gets on stage and they sing more songs and then somebody else gets on stage and they teach again and then the service ends, but then they won't leave and then they keep staying. And he says, I heard about this thing on the news where all these young people just refuse to leave the church and pretty soon people were flying in from around the world to be a part of that. Have you heard of that before? I said, oh yes, I have. I said, sir, you're talking about the Asbury Revival and I was there and then he says this would you tell me about revival I said you're talking to the right guy and I sure can And I left that shop thinking to myself, even your poets say, even your psychics say, even your business owners say, even your tarot card readers say, even your Ouija board players say, even those who are lost in spiritual amalgamation and darkness have a crying need for the eternal nestled within the human heart. And
and even they are crying out, are we not his offspring? Is he not our father? Were we not created for relationship? What is this revival? What is this awakening? What is this existential hope? Where can I place my trust? I'm telling you, if even the psychic shop owners are asking us about revival, we are on the very precipice of another great move of God's spirit in Seattle and beyond. When God begins to move in a region, first thing he'll do is raise the spiritual curiosity of a place. And I'm telling you, there are people huddled in dark shops all across this city who are just waiting for somebody who carries the light to walk in and to tell them about the living water that they may never thirst again. Tell me about revival. That's the softest warm up that there's ever been in the world. I can knock that out of the park all day. But I'm telling you, that is the question reverberating in the hearts of people all across this region. Tell me about why I feel this way. Tell me about why I keep having dreams of a man dressed in white. Tell me why I've got a hunger and a need in my heart for something eternal. Can you answer the questions that are keeping me awake? Yes, we can. And his name is Jesus. Fred Nathan Finocchio said something this week that I thought was of importance as it pertains to the Word of God. He said this, without scripture, society and spirituality deteriorate into lawlessness. Society deteriorates because scripture creates order and reason. Spirituality deteriorates because scripture creates boundaries and framework. The Holy Spirit wrote scripture and leads us towards scripture because in scripture we encounter the revealed triune God. See, every time you encounter his presence, it'll lead you back to his word. Every time you encounter his word, there within it, you will find his presence. For to love God is to love his word. See, Scripture is the anchor that holds the boat of Christianity and culture in place while the storm rages around us. Friend, we depart from Scripture at our own peril. The Bible says in Romans 17, we ought to be hearers of the Word. In Deuteronomy 17, it says we ought to be readers of the word. In Proverbs 2, it says we ought to be students of the word. In Psalms 119, it says we ought to be memorizers of the word. In Joshua 1, it says we ought to be meditators of the word. In James 1, it says we ought to be doers of the word. See, you either choose the word and allow it to burn up your idols, or you will choose your idols and allow it to burn up this word. That is the choice we face in culture. See, friend, the church is the canary in the coal mine of the West. We are the last bastion of truth and sanity left on the planet. Help isn't coming via any other avenue so friend, for better or worse, 
We are it. Here are the choices. It is either Torah or exile. It is either scripture or insanity. It is either the Bible or it is brokenness. We are making our stand. Christ is our foundation. Scripture is our authoritative anchor. And here we stand for we can do no other. Last week we were in John 6 where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This morning we are in John 8 where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In John 8 and in verse 2, the scriptures begin. Now early in the morning, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people had gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Let me set the scene for you this morning. Jesus is boldly teaching in the temple courts. The religious authorities are swirling around him, attempting to entrap him, determining whether they could accuse him of blasphemy, trying to incite the multitudes to turn on him. And Jesus, unbothered by their campaign of terror, sits down to teach. Not defensive, not trying to correct the record, not anxious about what the religious folks might be saying, not panicking because someone has a wrong opinion. Instead, laser focused on doing his father's business. If Jesus is not guest speaking at a church growth conference. The people who are conspiring to kill him are swirling around him like hungry vultures. And how does he respond? By sitting down behind enemy lines. By teaching people the word of God. See, here's the good news. Your table has already been prepared. Here's the bad news. It's in front of your enemies. Here's the best news. If Jesus can take a seat, so can you. Now verse 3, the scribes and the Pharisees, they brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in his midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman, she was caught in adultery, the very act. See, the law of Moses says we should stone her. But what say you? Now they said this, testing him, watch, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down. And he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. I want you to see what's unfolding here. If it was true that this woman was caught in the very act of adultery, why was the man not also drug outside and publicly humiliated in the temple courts? Secondly, why did the scribes and Pharisees know exactly where to find her? Probably because they was visiting her on the weekends as well. Thirdly, anybody who gets set in the midst of Jesus is going to leave different than how they came in. See, the devil never learns. Every time you mess up, Satan throws shame and condemnation in your face. Thinking that this will finally be the thing to either get you to stop loving God or to get God to stop loving you. And every time you end up back in the midst of Jesus, the blood of Jesus makes you clean. The blood of Jesus restores your hope. And the blood of Jesus breaks every ounce of shame off of your life. This woman was drugged from her bed. 
thrown at the feet of Jesus. They're hoping for a murder, but Jesus' specialty is resurrection. And regardless of how you got to church today, you may have been dragged out of your bed by a friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a mom, or a dad. You may have stumbled in trying to go to the restaurant, but you ended up at church. Regardless of how you got here, you're here now. But more importantly, Jesus has already been here, and his presence can change your life life, forgive your sin, heal your body, and give you a bright hope and a better future like you never imagined possible. The religious leaders don't even really care about this woman's sin. All they're trying to do is trap Jesus. They try to trap him on taxes. They try to trap him on marriage. They try to trap him on the laws related to the Sabbath. You name it. They never ask a genuine question a day in their life. And here's the reality, friend. You ought to stop explaining yourself to people who are committed to misunderstanding you. You ought to stop thinking you can rationalize with folks who have a debased mind. The Pharisees didn't ask these questions to gain understanding. They asked these questions to gain leverage for false accusations down the road. Oh, the book of Proverbs was right. If you answer a fool, you run the risk of becoming a fool yourself. See, Jesus is in a no-win situation. If he says, yes, let's stone her, he is showing himself subservient to the Mosaic law. If he says, no, let's not, he is showing himself disobedient to the Torah and therefore disqualified from being the Messiah. So instead of answering them anything, he pretends like he can't hear. He stoops down in the dirt and begins to write with his finger. And friend, only a God as good as Jesus is willing to get in the dirt in the worst moment of your life, sit in the midst of your brokenness until every lying voice around you and inside of you begins to disappear. Oh, I'm glad that God didn't wait until I was clean to begin writing writing my story in the dirt of my life. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was in the miry clay, he lifted me up. While I was lost in darkness and depravity, he got down in the muck and the mire of life. He took his finger, he wrote on the dirty narrative of my life, and he showed me a better way. Oh, Jesus didn't wait for you to come to him. In the fullness of time, God sent Jesus to come to you. And like the father who saw the prodigal son from afar off he came running he embraced you he put a robe on your shoulders sandals on your feet a ring on your finger he killed the fatted calf and said my son who was dead is now alive again this same Jesus is running after prodigals today and he gets down in the dirt of life unafraid of becoming dirty himself interrupts this woman's narrative, forever changes her future. What Jesus wrote in that dirt has been of great debate amongst scholars for 2,000 years. Some say he wrote the sins of the Pharisees. Some say he wrote a verse from Exodus about the danger of bearing false witness. For me, I think it's most likely that what Jesus wrote in the dirt was following the Roman judicial practice of his day where when a judgment was given, the judge would write it first on a scroll 
and then read it out to the crowds who had gathered to hear the verdict. And can you imagine what Jesus would have written in that dirt? This woman is innocent. Not because she didn't commit the crime, but instead because I have already paid her price. So when they continued asking him, he stood up and said to them, He who is without sin amongst you, let him throw his stone first. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman was standing in his midst. Then Jesus stood up again and asked her, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? I love this. Jesus has been sitting this entire time. He was teaching the crowds before he was so rudely interrupted. And as the Pharisees are accusing, creating pomp and circumstance and commotion, Jesus remains in his seated position. The Pharisees couldn't get him to stand up. The circumstance couldn't get him to stand up. The drama couldn't get him to stand up. But all of a sudden... When a daughter of Abraham gets thrown at his feet in disgrace, something begins to stir in the heart of Jesus. There is something about covenant. There is something about a promise. There is something about a prodigal. There is something about a lost sheep. There is something about the cry of his children that causes the master to stand up and all of heaven to respond. You gotta know today that when you call on Jesus, it don't matter or where you've been or how dirty the stuff that you've done or what type of enemies surround you. When you call on Jesus, he stands in your defense. He hides you in his pavilion and he provides shelter in the midst of your storm. See, nothing causes Jesus to stand up quicker than a broken person who needs healing, being attacked by a religious hypocrite who needs attention. Notice, Jesus doesn't say this woman hasn't committed sin. Instead, by his actions, he communicates this point. I am refusing to allow them to use you as a pawn in their religious theater. See, God will never shame you in order to change you. He will never embarrass you in order to motivate you. He'll put his spirit inside of you. He'll put his conviction upon you. And then he'll give you an empowering grace that causes you to triumph in Christ Jesus. Jesus says to this woman, where are your accusers? Where are they now? Are any of them left? And she responds, no one, Lord. And Jesus says to her, see, neither do I condemn you. 
So go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, the crowds who were still gathered, the crowds who just witnessed this chaotic moment, the crowds who are wondering if they're going to see Jesus pick up a stone and kill a woman. Jesus turns to these same crowds who haven't moved an inch. And he declares to them, I am the light of the world. And he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Often when I have read this passage before, I have asked the question, how could Jesus forgive this woman if she didn't even ask for it? And here's the reality, man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. You know why Jesus can forgive this woman? Because God is looking at stuff that we can't see. And therefore, he is able to make judgments that we can't make. Now Jesus says something interesting. He says, I don't condemn you. And that word condemn in the Greek, it means to judge worthy of punishment. See, you got to hear me today. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is different than the condemnation of the enemy. The conviction of the Holy Spirit isn't a form of punishment. It's a form of grace. The world condemns. The enemy accuses. But it is Christ who forgives. And if you live the rest of your Christian life running around scared to ever admit your last mistake out of fear that God has this pent-up desire to punish you, you've misunderstood this entire book. Friend, Christ became our punishment and we have become his reward. And this is why the Apostle John tells the churches, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the world. Jesus restores this woman's identity in the public square. He tells her, this is the last day you're ever going to commit adultery, and transitions right back to teaching the crowds, and this is his declaration, I am the light. See, you've got to understand the historical and sociocultural context of John 8 because when you do, it brings this passage to life in a way that I have never seen before. Watch this. It's so interesting. See, this story in John 8, it's happening during the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. The Feast of Tabernacles was a seven-day Jewish festival that commemorated God leading the people out of Egyptian bondage and into the Promised Land. Watch this. During each of the nights of this seven-day festival, giant chandeliers and candles lanterns and menorahs were placed all around the temple and it would cause God's house to glow so much so that it would light up the entire city.
It's on the backdrop of this festival. And in the midst of these lights that Jesus sets a woman free from darkness and then turns to the crowds who have gathered to hear him teach and declare, I am the light of the world. You've got to see Jesus is communicating to the Jewish people who have gathered to hear him teach. I am the fulfillment of your festivals. I am the fulfillment of your shadows and your types. What you have done to celebrate history is what I have come to fulfill for all of eternity. In the same way that we light candles to give illumination to the temple of God, I am the light, not just for Jerusalem, not just for Judea, not just for Samaria, but even to the uttermost parts of the earth. What you have done in the physical, I am doing in the spiritual, for I have come to light up every square inch of darkness that those who encounter my light could be free not just for a seven-day festival but for the rest of their entire lives it's the same thing he does in John 6 I am the fulfillment of the bread that you have eaten I am the fulfillment of the candles that you have lit I am the fulfillment of the laws and the festivals that you have kept and in me you will have freedom for your weary souls see for us 2,000 years later we read the text and we're like okay Jesus is saying he's the light because that means he lights up dark places and that's true but Jesus issues this decree on the backdrop of a festival happening all around him. He tells those crowds, next time you see Temple Mount lit up, next time that you walk into the courts and you see the menorahs burn bright, next time you see the altar of incense burning with a flame that never goes out, I want you to see that light and be reminded that all of those forms, types, and shadows pointed to the spotless Lamb of God who would one day take on the sin of the world and I who speak to you am He for I am that light. And it is the light of Jesus that still shines bright through the witness of the church in the fractured world around us. You are a light not covered up but set on a hill for all men to see. You know what I love about turning on the lights? There's never a negotiation with darkness. There's never an argument to be held between the light bulb and the absence of light in the room. It don't matter how dark the night is. It don't matter if there's no stars in the sky. It don't matter if the clouds are covering up the moon. It don't matter if you're in isolation. It don't matter if you're in darkness and depression. One little light can transform an entire region and all of darkness and hell cannot hold it back. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is saying, and in me you will have triumph 
and in me you will have victory and in me the kingdom will increase and expound in ways that you can never ask think or imagine for when I am high and lifted up and my light fills the region it compels those who have been groping in darkness looking for the truth to see what has been standing in front of them this entire time. I am this light. And friend, this is the God that we serve. Come on, would you stand as we close? Listen, Fred, you might be here today and if you were to be honest, in a lot of ways, you can associate with that story I told at the beginning of today's sermon. You found yourself lost in spiritual amalgamation, new age practice, witchcraft, darkness. You have a spiritual hunger, but you fed yourself with all the wrong stuff. And I am promising you today, as sure as I am standing on this stage, if you will trust God enough to receive prayer at the end of today's service, God's power will break every chain of darkness and bondage off of your life and you will never be the same. Those nightmares that you can't escape, broken by the power of Jesus. Those suicidal thoughts that you can't shake, broken by the power of Jesus. That spiritual confusion that you face, broken by the power of Jesus. If you're here today, you don't know Jesus like you should, but you want to. At one point, maybe you were close to him, but if you were to be honest, you're far from him. Maybe you're here today and that fire used to burn bright on your heart, but if you were to be honest, you're just going through the motions. I am telling you that there is a light that proceeds from heaven and God desires to brighten you up like you could never imagine. It's available for you today. Maybe you need a miracle in your body. Maybe you need a healing in your mind, your money, your marriage. Whatever it is, there is a God who supplies everything we're in need of according to His riches and glory. And your darkness, this region's darkness, is no match for this little light of mine. We're gonna let it shine. It's gonna set those in shame and condemnation free. It's gonna cause the demoniac to be restored. It's gonna cause the dead to be raised, the lost to be found. So let our light shine. And in doing so, let this region come into awakening. Come on, let me pray for you today. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I ask that by your own power, your light would shine truth and dispel darkness from every part of our mind, bodies, and spirits. God, today, I pray that your light would not just shine in us, but oh God, would it shine through us. In every shop that we walk into, in every workplace cubicle that we sit at, in every drive-through that we that we drive that that that, that 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 we visit, God, I pray that in every sphere of society that we occupy, that the light of the gospel, the glorious grace of Christ Jesus, would pour through us, and in doing so, there would be a harvest of souls, people coming into the kingdom. Families transformed. And in doing so, God, we're going to give you all the glory. 
the praise and the honor. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said amen. And amen. Friend, if you're here today.